Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This sermon is taken from the 2013 Israel and End Time Prophecy Conference. This is the first morning service of Sunday the 8th of September 2013. Here's Dr. Steve Cook. Good morning. It's wonderful to be here at Bethel, and uh, I'm really excited about being here uh, and having time to fellowship with uh, your pastor. Uh, he, uh, of course, is from the area of Hickory, North Carolina, and uh, that's not too far from where I uh, reside. Uh, my wife and I uh, split time between Southern Ohio, which is about four and a half hours from Hickory, and then we also uh, live in the area of of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, which is about four and a half hours from Hickory. So uh, we're excited about being here and uh, to meet you all. And uh, so wonderful to uh, to be invited here. I'm honored that uh, Pastor would have me come and to preach uh, for you all this morning. And uh, as you can tell, I don't have a British accent. I, I have a hillbilly accent, so I'm from Kentucky. And uh, and uh, But I love coming here. This is my fifth trip to England. And uh, I've had the opportunity to be in uh, Barrie, uh, in Preston, Presswich, and I was in Cheltenham uh, yesterday, and, uh, and then looking forward to what the Lord's going to do here and uh, this week of meeting. So uh, it's exciting. Our ministry is primarily to the Jewish population worldwide, and uh, that's our main mission, is to take the gospel of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile, to the Greek. And so that's in keeping with the Word of God. And, uh, you know, if churches aren't reaching out to the Jewish people, they're really not being uh, 100% obedient to the great commandment because the Bible says to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so uh, we can't just reach out to the Gentile. It's wonderful that we're able to reach out to the Gentile, but if there are Jewish people in the area, we also should be trying to reach them as well. And so one of my one half of my ministry is primarily involved in going to areas of dense Jewish population to preach the uh, gospel, to do outreaches and evangelism outreach and soul-winning efforts uh, to reach the Jewish people, but also to go into local churches and train believers like yourselves how to effectively witness to the Jew. And so um, if I can duplicate myself... Uh, through local churches and training people, helping to be a blessing to that local church. Uh, and then you all uh, have an outreach through Bethel to reach the Jewish people, or you have a, uh, an outreach personally in reaching the Jewish people. Well, then I feel like that, uh, that I've done what God's uh, called me to do. Uh, our job is, uh, make no mistake about it, our job is uh, to sow seed. Uh, it's still God who gives the increase, amen? And so, uh, uh, you know, how would you begin to witness to a Jewish person? Have you ever considered that? Where would you start? Well, I give them the Romans road. Well, they don't believe the New Testament's the Bible. What would you do now? Well, this morning I want to share uh, what I would do, um, and I want to share the gospel of Genesis chapter 5. Keep in mind that the first century New Testament church did not have two vital things that we had. Number one, they did not have a New Testament. And number two, they did not have a church. They met publicly in house to house. So if you don't have a New Testament, 
How can you preach the gospel? Well, people did it all the time. The first century New Testament church was all about preaching the gospel, and they had nothing but what the Bible, what the Jews would call the Tanakh, the Tanakh. Uh, they don't call it the Old Testament because they don't believe in the New Testament. So the Tanakh is what they refer to it as. And so if you have your Bibles, let's uh, open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 5. And let me share with you, uh, I'm going to move this chair just a little bit here, Pastor, so I can better see it and not have to turn around and look at the screen all the time. Uh, it's annoying to do that for you all, so I don't want to do that. Uh, but in Genesis chapter 5, let's begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says this is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him, male and female created he them, blessed them, called their name Adam in the day when they were created. And Adam lived in 130 years and begat sons and daughters in his own likeness after his image, called his name Seth. In the days of Adam, after he had begotten Seth, were 800 years, and he begot, rather, he begat sons and daughters. And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. And Seth lived 105 years and begat Enos. Seth lived after he begat Enos 807 years and begot sons and daughters. And all the days that Seth uh, of, of Seth were 912 years, and he died. And Enos lived 90 years and begat Canaan. And Enos lived after he begat Canaan 815 years and begat sons and daughters, and all the days of Enos were 905 years, and he died. Do you see a theme that's developing here? These people lived a long time, didn't they? But then they died. They died. You can underline that, and he died, because every one of them except one died. That's listed, And there are really 10 names that are listed here in the Gen uh, Genesis chapter 5. Now, I'm not going to read that whole chapter, but how many of you have read through the Bible or read through the book of Genesis, and you got to one of these um, uh, lineages where it says, and so-and-so begat so-and-so, and so-and-so begat so-and-so, and you just kind of skim through it and move on? How many? Let's be honest. How many of you do that? All right. Well, you know that God's Word uh, is all, all of God's Word is important. And so this chapter is just as important as any other chapter of God's Word because it's God's Word, amen? So let me share with you something about these names. And uh, we'll begin by mentioning, first of all, the name Adam. And what do you know about the name Adam? Well, there were two Adams in the Bible that are mentioned, the first Adam and the last Adam. The first Adam, the Bible says, is of the earth earthly, whereas the last Adam is the Lord from heaven. The first Adam is the head of temporary generations, plural, whereas the last Adam is the head of one singular generation. In him, the first Adam, the Bible says, all die, whereas in the last Adam, nobody dies. Amen? In the first Adam, we all begin in, or rather, the first Adam began in innocence, but he ended up in guilt, whereas in the last Adam, in him, all begin in guilt, but end up in innocence. Interesting, isn't it? The first Adam brought a curse when he stole from the tree. The last Adam became a curse for us when he got on a tree. The Bible says, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, and of course, Jesus hung on the cross. The last Adam is Jesus Christ, amen? 
The first Adam uh, brought about pain and suffering. Wherefore, as by one man, Romans 5, 12 says, sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death is passed upon all men, for all have sin. It began with Adam, the first Adam. But Jesus came to restore all that the first Adam lost. And my friend, uh, he came 2,000 years ago, and uh, the purpose of his coming was to provide a means of salvation. Well, as we look at that, I want you to understand that as we look at the different names here in Genesis chapter 5, keep this first prophecy of the coming Messiah in mind. This is what we call a messianic prophecy. And the first messianic prophecy in the Bible is found in Genesis 3.15, where it says the seed of a woman would one day come and crush the head of the serpent. In other words, this was about the Messiah who would come and restore all that the first Adam had lost. And in the process, he would defeat Satan, and he would loosen the, the chains that bind us in sin and uh, the slavery of, and bondage of sin. Well, the Bible says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It will bruise thy head, thou shalt bruise his heel. Keep this in mind. Every woman from that point on, no doubt, was looking for that child the Messiah. Now, Eve, of course, was the first woman to ever be with child. Imagine how strange that must have been when she says, "Uh, Adam, honey, uh, something's going on here. There's something in my stomach, and it's growing, and it's not uh, those beans we had for breakfast, you know. (laughs) And and so, can you imagine? But, But no doubt, every parent wanted their child to fulfill this prophecy. And so you have to understand that in Hebrew, words have meaning. Now, my wife's name is Cozy, okay? That's a strange name for a lot of people. Um, C-O-S-I-E, by the way. It's not C-O-Z-Y. But my wife's name is Cozy. Ask my wife why they named her Cozy. They named her after her great-grandmother, Cosetta. And they called Cosetta Cozy, so they named my wife Cozy. She hates that name. I love it, but she hates it. We name our children because we like the sound of the name, right? We don't name them because of what the word actually means. Well, that's not the way it was in Hebrew. So every name that's listed in Genesis 5 had a meaning, and it reflects something for us, and I think it's important that we understand. For instance... Adam and Eve's first son was named Cain. Well, you don't find it in chapter 5. You find it in chapter 4. Cain. And Cain, his name means gotten from the Lord a man. You see, they thought Cain was that one that would fulfill Genesis 3.15. He wasn't. He had a brother. Right after he was born, his name was Abel. And his name meant he who ascends or he who goes up. And actually, Abel became a very prophetic name. Because that's exactly what happened when Cain killed his brother Abel. Now, keep that in mind. Which was the promised seed? They didn't know. You know, we thought Cain was the one. Now here's another child. What's up with this? And then, of course, we know what happened. The story of Cain and Abel and how they brought sacrifice to God. And and Cain accepted, or rather, God accepted Cain's sacrifice. uh, Excuse me, rejected Cain's sacrifice. But He accepted Abel's sacrifice, and Cain got mad at his brother and slew him, didn't he? That's a terrible story for the first family 
on earth. But that's a true story, and God exposes both the, the blessings and the warts of humanity, doesn't he? Cain and Abel. You see, Cain and Abel brought sacrifices because, as we find here in Genesis chapter 5, look at verse number 3. Cain and Abel were not born in the image and likeness of God. A lot of people think we're all God's children and, and God's the father of us all and, and the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. And I'm not a Greek scholar, but I've got a Greek word for that, baloney. You're not my brother, you're not my sister, unless you've been born into the same family of God that I've been born into. You weren't created in the image and likeness of God. You were born in the image and likeness of Adam, who was a sinner. You see, Cain and Abel were both born wrong, and that's why they brought sacrifice before God. This idea of, of the Jews, all Jews will go to heaven is nonsense. Jews need Jesus as much as Gentiles need Jesus. If you don't believe me, look at John chapter 3 when J Jesus, a Jew, told Nicodemus, a Jew, you must be born again. And so Jews will never get saved apart from the preaching of the word of God and the gospel. These names like Cain and Abel and all of the other ones that we're going to see, there are 10 of them in Genesis 5, they all reflect three things, or one of three things. One is they're going to show uh, the desire of the parent, that their child would be that Messiah. Secondly, uh, they could show the decay of man. And lastly, they're going to show the deliverance that is in Christ. Now, they won't show all three of these aspects, but some will show one, some will show another. And I want to share with you very quickly these ten names and what they mean. And then I want to show you something else that's even more important. First of all, we begin with the first name in chapter 5, and that is Adam. Remember, when these lineages are given, these family trees are listed in a chapter, they're important. Okay, you just have to dig a little harder, okay? Adam's name means man of red earth. And we, of course, we know that God took clay and, 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 uh, and fashioned Adam out of that uh, dust of the earth. Seth, his name, which is the third son now of Adam and Eve, his name means appointed or substitute. Isn't that interesting? Cain, his uh, firstborn child, meant gotten from the Lord a man. But then Cain kills Abel. Abel ascends up into heaven. Cain is cast away. And now they have a third son, and they call him substitute. Now, I'd rather be a substitute than no toot at all. Amen? That's just the way I feel about it. I, you know, I, I've been a substitute teacher and a substitute preacher, and I'd rather be a substitute than no toot at all. And so uh, that's what they called Seth. And so you get the idea that, hey, maybe he'll be the one because we thought Cain was, but he killed Abel. Abel was probably the one. We missed it, and now we hope that he'll be a substitute. Well, he wasn't, but he begat a son named Enos. He called him Enos because his name meant mortal or dying. And here you see the decay of man. Uh, man is continually becoming more and more uh, sinful. And finally, we get all the way down to Noah's day in the flood, you see. Uh, he wasn't the one, and Canaan literally means Cain again, or gotten from the man, uh, Lord a man. And so again, now you see how Enos is hoping that his son would be the one to fulfill Genesis 3.15, but he wasn't. And then you have Mahalalil. That's a name, isn't it? How many children are named Mahalalil? Uh, you know, but what does that word mean? Well, it means splendor or glory of God. 
And so here you see the desire of the parent desiring that their child would bring back all that was lost in the fall of Adam. And so Mahalaleel wasn't the one, but he had a child named his name Jared, which literally means descending or to go down. It's the root word of the Jordan River, actually. And, and, and Jared, uh, you see again the decay of man. Man is continuing to spiral downward, 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 until finally in chapter 6 we find that uh, God repented that he had made man. Jared wasn't the one, but he begat a son named Enoch, and Enoch means translated. And here, again, the desire of the parents that their son would translate all that was lost by the first Adam and restore uh, the splendor translate, if you will, back to what it used to be. He wasn't the one. He begat Methuselah. You all know who Methuselah is. Lived to be 900 and how old? 69 years old. Uh, that's a long time. You know, I don't even know if I'd like to live in this world 969 years, to be honest with you. Um, but the, the fact of the matter is, we got Methuselah. His name literally means javelin thrower. Uh, you ever see a person in the Olympics throw a javelin? It's not like throwing a dart. A javelin thrower takes a run, and he winds up and stretches out. You know, and he throws as hard as he can. And that's what Methuselah literally means. It means to stretch out. And here I think we see the desire uh, of the parents that God would uh, be merciful and, and, and patient with sinful man. He begat Lamech because he wasn't the one, and Lamech... His, his name means king or conqueror. And again, the desire is that this son would be the one that would crush the head of the serpent, according to Genesis 3.15. Lamech wasn't. He begat Noah. Noah's name means rest or comfort. Interesting, isn't it? Rest or comfort. This is what they desired. They wanted rest from the weariness of sin. I don't know about you, but when I got saved, it was like a burden was lifted. And, and, and I had rest that I had never known before. It's called the peace with God. When you get saved, you have peace with God. You can lay your head down at night and sleep. I mean sleep, knowing that, praise God, your sins are forgiven. You can't threaten me with heaven, amen? I mean, you know, I'm a winner either way. And uh, so all of these names are significant, aren't they? Uh, you probably never thought of these names that way. Uh, but let's do something a little bit more with these names. And... Uh, I want to begin by saying to you that probably, I think, the greatest sermon ever preached in the Bible can be found in Luke. Now, you don't have to turn there, but Luke chapter 24, verses 25, 26, and 27 speaks about the time when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus. Jesus had already been crucified. He had been buried in a borrowed tomb. Three days later, praise God, he conquered death, hell, and the grave, didn't he? And he rose victoriously because he lives, we can live also. It's the basis of our salvation. Without a risen Savior, why, we're still yet dead in our sin. And Jesus rose, and he was walking on the road to Emmaus. And he came upon these disciples, and they, their eyes were holding, and they didn't recognize him as Jesus. And he said, what's going on here, guys? And uh, they said, well, certainly you must be a stranger if you don't know what's happened over these last few days. And, and uh, you know, they start trying to tell him. And, and the Bible says, beginning with what? Moses and the prophets. 
he expounded unto them those things concerning himself. The greatest sermon in the Bible, Jesus preaching Jesus, not from the New Testament, but from the Old Testament, from the Tanakh. Now, I don't know what the name of that sermon was. Maybe the name of that sermon would be this, the Gospel of Genesis 5, right? And he might have taken these same 10 names and showed them who he really was. This is Jesus preaching Jesus from the Old Testament Scripture. As I said before, I'm a missionary to the Jewish population. You can't, you can't really be effective in witnessing the Jews using the Romans' road. I have to use the Old Testament Scripture because they don't believe the New Testament is the Word of God. So if I were going to use Genesis chapter 5, I might say something like this. The Messiah Jesus, well, he became our heavenly Adam. Adam's name means man of red earth. And the Bible says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who is Jesus? Well, he is a man of red earth. He identified with sinful man. The Bible is very clear about who Jesus is. And the Bible says, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. And the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. You see, the difference between what Jews believe and what I believe has to do with who the Messiah is. They're still looking for the Messiah to come. I believe he's already been here. I, there's a, there's a, a synagogue in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, near where we live down there, and it's called Temple Emmanuel. And I was talking to Rabbi Avi Peretz there, and I said, interesting, the name of your synagogue, Temple Emmanuel. That means God be with us, Temple. He said, yes. I said, well, he was 2,000 years ago, and you missed him. <laughs> and we laughed about it because he knows what I think of Jesus. And I said, but you're calling it God be with us temple. And he was, and you missed the whole thing. You see, Jesus became a man of red earth. Jesus became our heavenly Seth. What does Seth mean? It means appointed or substitute. Why did Jesus come? Well, the Bible is very clear. He came to take our place, our substitute in death, praise God. The Bible says in, uh, in uh, Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. And the Lord laid upon him, Yeshua, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. You see, God put our sins upon him. Our sins were imputed unto him. And when he died and when he rose again, when he conquered death and hell, and we trust in him, why then his righteousness is imputed unto us. That's the doctrine of imputation. And it has to do with the substitutionary death of Jesus for our sin. He died for us, praise God. The Bible says in 1 John 2, 2, he is the propitiation for our sin. And not our sin only, but the sin of the whole world. This idea that God sent Jesus to die for only certain people is utter nonsense, my friend. That's damnable heresy. That's a false doctrine of devils. Jesus came, and he is the propitiation. He is that which appeases and satisfies a holy, righteous God for the whole world, not just me, not just you, not just the certain people that God, uh, that, one, that certain people and denominations want to call the elect. Listen, Jesus died for the sin of the whole world. And if you trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the Bible says, whosoever will may come and take of the water of life freely. Jesus became our heavenly Enos, mortal or dying. 
Can I tell you that Jesus could save no one by his good works, by his virgin birth even? Jesus could save no one by his baptism, by healing the sick and raising the dead. Jesus could save no one. Jesus had to die. The Bible says that we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the, what, suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, should do what? Taste death for every man. Jesus had to die. The wages of sin is what? Death. The gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, Jesus died so that we don't have to die, spiritually speaking. The Bible says Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. He was buried, but it also says he rose again, also according to the Scriptures. Amen? Jesus became our heavenly Canaan. What does Canaan mean? Gotten from the Lord, a man. And my friend, nothing better describes the Lord, Jesus Christ, than this name because the Bible says, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive, and what? And bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. If you don't know Jesus as God, you don't know the Jesus of the Bible. Jesus wasn't just uh, some prophet, even as the, uh, the Muslims would say he's a prophet, and, and, but they don't call him deity. You know, there's a lot of people who will um, affix some wonderful term or, or some title to Jesus, but they don't recognize him as who he is. He is God with us. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, Gabriel tells Virgin Mary, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called what? The Son of God. Now, I don't have time to take you there, but Jews all the time tell me, oh, well, God didn't have a son. I said, that's funny. Let's go to the book of Proverbs, chapter 30. That's your Tanakh. That's, you believe the Tanakh, don't you? Oh, yes. Well, let's look at Proverbs in chapter 30. And, and there, there's a man named Agur. He asked a series of six questions. Who has bound the waters and who has ascended and descended and, and who has done this and who has done that? What is his name? And they will immediately tell you, well, his name is Jehovah. And it says right after that, question number six, and what is his son's name? <laughs> wow, that's in the Old Testament. And, and, and Jehovah has a son? Yes, and his name shall be called what? Jesus for he shall save his people from their sin. Jesus became our heavenly Mahalalil, splendor or glory of God. And, of course, the Bible says that when Jesus was being baptized and in other instances where a voice from heaven said, "Beloved, uh, excuse me, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus always did that which pleased the Father. Certainly he represents the splendor and the glory of God. And by the way, in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, the Bible says he is declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the what? Resurrection from the dead. He is our heavenly Jared descending to go down. What does that mean? Well, in Ephesians chapter 4, we find, and listen to what it said. Wherefore, he said, when he, Jesus, ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. But notice this. Now that he ascended, what is it but he, that he also descended first? 
into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended far above all heaven. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he descended into hell. You remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus, don't you? The rich man and Lazarus, and there was a great chasm between, and, and, and the rich man was thirsting for a drop of water. And said, Father Abraham, send Lazarus over. He might dip his finger in water. And You see, when Jesus died, he went into that, that place called Haiti, and he literally enlarged hell and led those out of the bosom of Abraham up into heaven. And that's what it's talking about. And see, Jared's name means to descend and go down. And Jesus went down and enlarged hell in the process. Praise God. What a blessing. Jesus is also our heavenly Enoch, which means translated. And, of course, this is a picture of the rapture. Jesus told his disciples, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And then he, he mentions the rapture for the very first time. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will what? Come again. Receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. And of course, we know that Enoch is a picture of the rapture. He walked with God and was not, for God took him. Isn't that interesting? Here's a man walking with God, and God said, you don't need to go back home. Let's go home. He took him on up to heaven. Never tasted death. In, in, a, in a twinkling of an eye. You know, the Bible says that. Uh, it talks about the rapture and talks about the twinkling. It says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, a twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and then the dead shall be raised incorruptible. How come the dead are raised first? Well, I don't know, except for the fact that they got six more feet to go. Amen. <laughs> and then he's our heavenly Methuselah, which means to stretch out. In these last days, people want to know, why hasn't Jesus come? And the Bible says that the Lord's not slack concerning his promise, uh, as some men count slackness, but is what? Long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Just because Jesus hasn't come to rapture his bride away doesn't mean it's not going to happen soon. God is long-suffering. He's like Methuselah, stretching out. And then, of course, Jesus is our heavenly Lamech, which means king or conqueror. The Bible says that he has on his vesture. When he comes in Revelation 19, not the rapture, that's the secret coming. This is the second coming. When he comes at the end of the tribulation period on a white horse, he will come with a name on his thigh and will say, Lamech, Lamech, king of kings, Adonai, Adonai, Lord of lords. And then lastly, He's our heavenly Noah. Comfort, rest. Two verses deal with comfort, rest, or peace. One is found right here in Romans chapter 5. The Bible says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. That's important. That word with is important. See, the moment you get saved, you have peace with God. You're no longer enmity against God. You're now part of the family of God. That's peace with God. And that's, a not, that's an unconditional covenant that God makes with you. When you trust Christ, guarantee you have eternal life. 
There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. But there's another peace. Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Peace with God, Romans 5, 1. Peace of God, Philippians 4, 7. What's the difference? This peace fluctuates. You see, when you're in fellowship with God, you know the peace of God. But when you lose fellowship with God, you lose the peace of God. You can be a child of God and not be at peace because you have unconfessed sin in your life. You understand what I'm saying? You can be out of fellowship with God. Oh, yes, I'm a child of God. But I'm under chastisement because I'm not obedient as a child of God. My friend, if you want peace of God, then you have to have keep short accounts with God. You have to make sure that there's nothing hindering you from experiencing the, the warmth of the love of God in your life. Father, we thank you, Lord. Praise you, Father, for the meanings of these words and how they foreshadow the coming Messiah who came 2,000 years ago but is coming again. And Father, we love you because you first loved us. Thank you, Father, for restoring through Jesus Christ, your Son, all that was lost in the fall. And help us, Lord, as we preach this week on Israel and end-time prophecy that, Father, uh, your saints would be edified. And Father, you would be glorified. And that, Father, if there's lost people who come, they would be satisfied in knowing Jesus Christ as their Savior. For it's in his name I pray. Amen.